Greetings to all of you. I want to welcome all of us at Center Street Church, those of us uh, here at Center Campus, as well as those joining us from our campus in Northwest Calgary, Bridgeland, Airdrie, and South Calgary. I also want to welcome our online viewers as well. Over the last few weeks, we've been studying the Gospel of Matthew, and we are now in a sermon series on the temptations of Jesus. In this significant uh, Gospel account, Jesus combats the enemy as a representative human being. Without using his divine powers, Jesus relies on the very same resources that has been given to us in order to overcome Satan. And in doing so, he sets a great example for Christians to follow in his steps. A few years ago, History Channel had a television series called The Bible. It eventually turned into the epic movie, Son of God. Now, I thought they did a remarkable job in presenting the story of the temptations of Jesus. You can watch it on YouTube if you're interested. In fact, I'll highly recommend it. Just type uh, Bible series, Temptations of Jesus on YouTube, and it is just a three-minute clip. The video shows the vast landscape of the Judean wilderness where Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit to be tempted. If you go to the Holy Land and view the various uh, historic sites today, you will witness that there has been a lot of constructions and reconstructions that have taken place. But the wilderness of Judea looks the same as in ancient times. Nothing has changed with the passing of years. Now, I have a picture here for you of uh, how the Judean wilderness looks like where Jesus was tempted. So just watch that slide on the screen. And you can see how barren and rugged is that uh, whole stretch of land. Mark's gospel says there were wild beasts in the wilderness alongside Jesus. The Bible series on uh, History Channel depicts the scene of Jesus' temptations in this way. Jesus is uh, lying down on the dry desert ground because he's extremely weak. He's breathing heavily. His hair is all messed up. He looks dirty and disheveled. Jesus speaks in a muffled voice. And that's because he has not eaten for 40 days. Can you picture someone who has not eaten for such an extensive period of time? Jesus could barely stand. He's starving. He's in a terrible shape. And at his weakest moment, he now faces the full force of Satan's attacks. Satan had successfully deceived Adam and Eve and the nation of Israel, and now we see an intense combat unfold between Jesus and Satan. And not only does Jesus overcome Satan, but he shows us how to do it as well. I think the reason we have uh, this incident recorded in the Gospels is because Jesus himself would have narrated this to his disciples. There were no eyewitnesses to this event. So that's what makes this account all the more special because it came from the very mouth of Jesus. The temptations of Jesus and the way he overcame serves as a paradigm for us today in winning the battle against temptation. 
Last week in across our campuses, we focused on the first temptation of Jesus, the temptation to turn stones into bread. It is to do with our appetites. Today, we're going to focus on the second temptation, and the emphasis here is on approval. This was the choice that was set before Jesus. Was Jesus going to follow God's plan for his life? Or was he going to bypass that plan in order to win the approval of others? Jesus faced the temptation of being popular and liked by people. And I tell you, this temptation is very much prevalent in our world today. It is the desire within all of us to live for the approval of others. The temptation can be summarized by a single question. Whose approval do you crave the most? If it is not Jesus, then you got it wrong. If we're going to read uh, Matthew chapter 4, verses 5 to 7, I'm going to ask you to stand if you're physically able to honor the reading of God's Word. Matthew chapter 4, verses 5 to 7. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Lord, it is our heart's desire to live in victory, victory over temptation, to live a life that is truly honoring and pleasing to you. And yet we know that constantly we battle with temptation that's all around us. So would you use this series to take us deeper in our walk with you, in our understanding of your word, and how we apply these truths to our life. We know we cannot do it in our own strength, so we express our utmost dependence on you. Come, Lord, and minister to us even now in the power of your spirit. We ask this in the matchless name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Just this past week, a WestJet plane was headed from Toronto to Jamaica. And most of them were going on a vacation in the sun. And as you can imagine, the excitement level in the plane was high. And when they were somewhere in the halfway mark, a young man decided to pull a stunt. He stood up and shouted to a plane full of people, I just came back from the province in China, which is the capital of the coronavirus, and I don't feel very good right now. And he had his uh, cell phone with him and uh, was uh, recording this video just to get the response of uh, the passengers in the plane. And all of this was a prank. Apparently, this guy was a budding musician who was looking for some fame. The flight crew took his words uh, seriously and decided to divert the plane back to Toronto. They followed all of the safety protocol, 
When they landed, the man was assessed by a medical staff and deemed to be symptom-free. He was then arrested. And the jerk later told the news outlet that he wanted to create a viral video because he's an upcoming artist looking for some publicity. You know, in a social media-driven world, it is crazy to see what people would do in order to get attention for the sake of approval. Here's a question for all of us. Whose approval do we crave the most? What are we willing to do in order to be noticed and admired by others? There is a misplaced desire for approval that is a temptation for all of us in the 21st century. We crave for acceptance. We want to be liked. And we do things in order to get applause from others. And it is amazing to see how this temptation can have a profound impact on our choices. If I can be vulnerable for a moment, I confess that this is an area I struggle with a lot. Now let me show you how this temptation for approval looked like for Jesus, and then we will draw some practical lessons for us today. When you look at the first temptation, Jesus had given a fitting response to the enemy when he was asked to turn the stones into bread. Even though Jesus was starving, he refused to use his power for his own selfish ends. He stood on the great truth of Scripture that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Satan is extremely crafty. This time he comes back with another temptation and tries to back Jesus into a corner by quoting from the Bible. Satan was saying, if you think you can use the Bible to resist my temptation, then I'll use the Bible itself to cause you to fall. So the devil takes Jesus to the holy city of Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, he takes him to the highest point of the temple of God. And what a setting that was for the Messiah to show his true credentials. And this was the temptation. Throw yourself down. Because it says in the Bible that God will take care of you. A text says in Matthew chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. On the outside, this seems like a totally absurd, ridiculous suggestion. Why would this proposition to perform a crazy stunt be a temptation for Jesus? It's like us going on top of Calgary Tower and free-falling in order to amaze all the people in downtown Calgary. Anyone struggling with that temptation? <laughs> so why would Jesus be finding this as a temptation? Let me tell you why this was an inviting proposition for Jesus. Keep in mind, the baptism of Jesus was the inauguration of his public ministry. 
For the very first time, Jesus came out of a long season of hiddenness. And this was the lure, the bait that Satan was dangling before Jesus. Do something dramatic to get yourself on the map. Create a reputation for yourself so people will flock after you. The temple court down below, the courtyard of the temple was a busy place, always buzzing with activities. Uh, there were the high priests and religious leaders, common people, pious Jews who have gathered to pray. And this was a great setting for the Messiah to announce his arrival. Now, the phrase that Satan uses, if you are the Son of God, could also be translated, since you are the Son of God. It's the same preposition in Greek. So, while the first translation would question the identity of Jesus, the second translation would be taken as an idea of entitlement. You are so privileged. Since you are the Son of God, why don't you go for it? So, in essence, Satan is saying here, Jesus, you're starting your ministry. Start with a bang. Let everyone take notice of who you are. Jump off the pinnacle of the temple, and the people who are gathered in the crowded marketplace will see this spectacular stunt, and they will say, it's a bird, it's a plane, it's a super messiah who has come to save us. Your videos will go viral. You will receive instant publicity and media coverage, and soon you will be flooded with offers and invitations to speak in conferences. Let the world know who you are, Jesus. Let people open their mouth in awe of your giftedness. Mesmerize them with your miracles. Now, we know that the Jewish people in the early first century were longing for the Messiah to come. They were waiting for the deliverer, the one who had the power to break free the Roman Empire and establish the reign of God. So the people anticipated that the Messiah's arrival will be glamorous. Interestingly, in popular Jewish thought, there was this expectation that the Messiah will show up in the temple in a spectacular fashion and reveal his identity. On their part, the Jews completely missed the picture of the Messiah painted in the Old Testament. They skipped portions like Isaiah 53, which give us the character of the Messiah. In fact, Isaiah 53 is translated this way in the message translation. Let me read verses 1 to 3. Who believes what we have heard and seen? Who would have thought God's saving power would look like this? The servant grew up before God, a scrawny seedling, a scrubby plant in a parched field. There was nothing attractive about him, nothing to cause us to take a second look. He was looked down on and passed over, a man who suffered, who knew pain firsthand. One look at him and people turned away. We looked down on him, thought he was scum. Now, with this background in mind, you can understand why this second temptation must have been appealing to Jesus, because it was a temptation to bypass Isaiah 53. 
The offer here for Jesus was to trade God's plan with a script of his own making. The temptation here was to become a star, a celebrity with a great fan following. That was a lot more glamorous than being a suffering servant as prophesied in Isaiah 53. Satan wanted Jesus to trade the path of God and chart a course of his own, a path that would be sensational, that would receive human approval, and will avoid all forms of suffering and pain. Do you know what uh, Philippians chapter 2 says about the incarnation of Jesus? Philippians 2, verses 6 and 7 goes like this. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. If Jesus were to jump off the temple like Superman, then he would be guilty of taking back the very powers that he emptied himself of. Recognizing this temptation, Jesus maintains his conviction to follow God's path for his life. We see in our text that Satan backs up this temptation with a Bible verse. Isn't that a fascinating thought, that Satan studies the Bible? Some of us Christians find it difficult to read the Bible, and yet Satan does with the primary purpose of distorting the truth. So Satan quotes Psalm 91 to Jesus. He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. In essence, Satan is saying, Jesus, you can do such a stunt because you are the anointed of God. God will not even let you stub your toe. You are so privileged. You're so special. It says right here in the Bible. Satan clearly was misusing the Bible to give Jesus all the more an incentive to gain the popularity and the applause of people. Let me tell you this. If you take Bible verses out of context... You can make the Bible say anything under the sun. You can use the Bible to support any lifestyle, any moral choices, and simply justify the ways of your heart. And that is happening all around us. A lot of damage has been done when scriptures have been taken out of context. So here's a practical advice. You never arrive at a doctrine using a single Bible verse. You always look for the whole counsel of God's Word. That is an important principle in interpreting the Bible. Now, Satan wants to misquote the Bible to Jesus, and Jesus clearly shows here to Satan that the verse is taken out of context. Psalm 91 does not teach that God's people will never have trouble But that trouble will not triumph over God's people. Trouble will not have its final say. For Jesus to expect God's protection over a reckless act would not be an act of faith. 
he would be guilty of manipulating God, testing him, and abusing God's promises. Jesus would be guilty of deliberately putting himself in a spot of bother and twisting God's hands to save him. See, God's promises are there for us when we need them, but we should never manipulate situations in order to force God to fulfill his promises. So look at how Jesus responded to the devil. Verse 7, Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus says, it is also written. Satan, you are proof texting the Bible. Look here what else the Bible has to say. Because that's the way we interpret the Bible. We interpret difficult texts in the Bible in light of the texts that are clearer. So Jesus goes on to quote from the book of Deuteronomy. And in the book of Deuteronomy, as the Israelites were about to enter the promised land, Moses is drawing lessons from their wanderings in the wilderness. Recollecting this incident that happened in Massa, Moses says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16, do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massa. Now, God had set Israel free from captivity in Egypt where they were slaves, doing backbending labor, facing mistreatment and abuse. God set them free the iron hand of Pharaoh. He opened the Red Sea, provided them with manna and quail in the wilderness, promised them of his own presence to walk with them. And after all that they had received from God, the Israelites had ungrateful hearts. For the moment they ran into some form of discomfort, they started to grumble. Oh, we have no water. Come on, God. You ought to give us water. You see what they were doing? They were taunting God. They were twisting his hand to get what they desperately wanted. Their attitude was, God, we are your people. Your job is to supply us water when we are thirsty. After all, you exist to meet our needs, to make us look good. If not, why did you even bring us out of Egypt? And what is fascinating is, in response to their grumbling, God provided the water that they demanded. But the place was called Massa, which means testing. Because they did something displeasing to God and tested Him, that place served as a perpetual reminder of their spiritual failure. Now listen to me. Watch your attitude in prayer. If you want something so badly and you're unwilling to give up on your demands, God may relent and give it to you. But it's not necessarily His best for your life. Jesus takes Israel's failure in the wilderness and He applies that to His context. So standing on the pinnacle of the temple and tempted to be heroic in order to get everyone's approval, 
Jesus takes a stand based on scripture, draws a line and he says, I am not going to test God. I'm here to submit to God's plan for my life. Now, how does this incident in Jesus' life apply to us today? Well, we can apply this truth in so many ways, but I want to take it in one direction. In the way we look for approval from others. The desire for human approval to look good and be popular makes us self-centered. And that is the problem with every temptation. Temptation is a desire to put yourself ahead of others. When you're self-centered, even God becomes a means to our end. He exists to serve us, to do our bidding, to make us look good in the eyes of others. And when our expectations don't come through, when we face disappointments in life, then we become disgruntled and upset like the Israelites. This longing to be validated by others lurks inside every single one of us. We want our accomplishments, our looks, our gifts, our strengths to be noticed for the sake of applause from others. The hunger for human praise is nothing but a hopeless preoccupation with ourselves. Relevant Magazine had a great article titled, Millennials' Greatest Problem. The article speculates that the problem of our generation is obsessive comparison disorder. This desire to look good and constantly compare ourselves with others produces feelings of discontent within us. Now, with the wide influence of online social media, that's what so many people do day after day, hour after hour, minute after minute. People today are self-centered and strive hard to find salvation in the approval of others. They love to soak in human praise and it can turn easily into an addiction. I'm going to push some buttons here. Take, for example, a selfie, a photo that you take of yourself with your cell phone. Apparently, every third photo taken by those aged 18 to 24 is a selfie. You take a selfie, edit it, make sure it looks good, post it on social media, and it doesn't stop there. You repeatedly check your phone for feedback of what others have to say. What's behind that? It's that longing for approval. As seen in a, a recent study posted by the American Marketing Association, whenever one gets a like on social media, a chemical called dopamine is released within the brain, giving a natural high which the body craves constantly over time. 
And this can turn into an addiction and ultimately lead to all kinds of mental health issues. One pastor put it so well when he said, the reason they call it selfie is because they can't spell narcissism. <laughs> Let me ask you, what is the effect of all of those photos that we are flooded with on social media? We look at the photos of our family members, friends, acquaintances, colleagues, and we go, look at their life. Look at them. They live life to the hilt. And look at poor me, the way I live my life, how my life sucks. Why can I be just like them? Look at that cute couple snuggling closely. Their marriage must be great. Why can't my spouse be like that? You remember when it was uh, minus 35 a few weeks ago and miserable? A distant friend of mine puts this on Facebook. Swimming and watching the sunset on the Pacific Ocean in Costa Rica, plus 34 Celsius, and feeling sorry for my family and friends back home in Canada. Love you all. <laughs> I read that and I unfriended him. <laughs> what about that moment when you're eating mac and cheese and an apple for dinner and you saw your friend posing a picture of a gourmet meal in a fancy restaurant? Did you wish them a bon appetit? <laughs> or were you secretly wishing that they would get indigestion after the meal? <laughs> now, how about those annoying people who always put videos of their kids scoring goals, memorizing Bible verses, singing songs, or playing instruments, and you go, what is wrong with my kids? Why can't they do something impressive to make our family look good? <laughs> this obsessive comparison disorder causes you to buy things you don't need, wear things you shouldn't wear, go to places you shouldn't go, hang out with people you shouldn't hang out with. And we get sucked right into this temptation to be discontent with your life and start living someone else's life. Now, let me ask you, when was the last time you spent 30 minutes on Facebook or some other social media platform and said this was a time well spent? Now, I've gone on a tirade against Facebook and social media and selfies, and you may be wondering, are you saying that we shouldn't use them at all? No, I'm not saying that. I believe there is a place for those things. But what I'm concerned about is the excessive use of these things and how when these things become an idol and we start looking to them for approval and identity. Now, whether you use social media or not, here is an easy way to gauge if you live for the approval of others. You know you have an approval addiction if your greatest nightmare is rejection. Hear me. Our soul is designed for God's approval alone, and no amount of human recognition can serve as a substitute. 
and all of the Facebook likes, all the oohs and the ahs and all the compliments of people don't mean much in light of eternity. A human praise is wavering. But if you're a Christian, God's approval over your life is a constant. And if you can hear those words of affirmation from the Father, this is my beloved son, this is my beloved daughter, in them I am well pleased, then it doesn't matter what your circumstances are or what others think about you, you can be totally content. you look for satisfaction anywhere else, you're going to be disappointed. God's approval is all we need. Now, in this sermon series, we talked about giving you practical tools to help you battle with temptation. So, I'll close with this one. If you're guilty of spending too much time on the internet, then I'll challenge you to cut down your social media time usage by half and instead start on a Bible reading plan if you don't have one already. There are many different Bible reading plans available. Find one that works for you, some as little as five minutes a day. A Bible reading plan will help you to systematically study the Bible at a pace that you like and receive the whole counsel of God's Word. Now, how did Jesus overcome the enemy? Three times he says, it is written, it is written, it is written. Jesus uses the authority of the Bible to overcome temptations. And when we are tempted or enticed, There's something tantalizing that is drawing us forward. And what we need in order to resist is an anchor that is immovable, something on which we can be grounded, and that is the Word of God. I tell you, Jesus as a little boy must have memorized Scriptures, not using His divine powers like you and I have to do as human beings. He attended the synagogue and heard teachings and exposition of the Scripture. Jesus personally studied the Old Testament, and it helped him to face the enemy at the most vulnerable moment in his life. See, the deposit of God's Word in your heart is a tool that the Holy Spirit uses to help you win this battle over temptation. Here's something else you can do. This applies to all of us, not just those who use social media. If there is a prominent area of temptation that you're wrestling with in your life, you know that it is a dominant temptation. Write it down. And alongside it, write down a Bible verse that can help you to overcome that temptation. What is written in the Bible about the area of temptation that you are wrestling with today. And if you're not sure, do a little research and find out one or two Bible verses that speak into that very issue that you're struggling with. Memorize those Bible verses and verbally speak it out, those moments of temptation. And I tell you, you will be amazed to see how the power of God's Word gives you such a sure grounding to overcome the attacks of the enemy in your life. 
I'm going to ask us to stand as we come to an end. Let me bring back the question that we opened with. Whose approval do you crave the most? Is it your boss? Your spouse? Someone in your family? A friend? If you don't crave in your heart for the approval of Jesus, everybody else is going to let you down. That's for sure. So this is an opportunity for us to allow God to speak those words of approval and affirmation over our lives. That if you have surrendered your life to Christ, then you are part of God's family. And God sees you, each one of you, as his precious child. And that's the only approval that you need in the midst of all other temptations surrounding us. So why don't we just close our eyes right now The Holy Spirit wants to minister to each one of you individually. So let's maintain a moment of silence and be in tune with the Spirit to come and speak to us. And after a moment of silence, I'll close us in prayer. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word, the authority of your word that convicts us, that guides us in the path that you want us to go. Today we have received the message that you brought to us. And Lord, we admit the areas where we struggle, the desire within all of us to be approved by others around us, to look for approval in the wrong places. So would you please help us to break free from this addiction and Lord, to take delight and comfort in the words of affirmation you have already spoken over us, that we are your children and with us you are well pleased. May we live in light of that. I pray that we would live before the audience of one, the longing and the desire in our heart that one day we will again hear the voice of Jesus saying, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. May we crave for that affirmation more than anything else. So challenge us, help us, Lord, to apply the many truths that we've learned today because we know we cannot do it on our own. We need your help. So we express our dependence on you. Help us, Lord, to live a life that will bring glory and honor to you. And even as we leave this place, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of our Heavenly Father, and the sweet, unfailing fellowship of the Holy Spirit may rest and abide with each and every one of us, both now and forevermore. Amen. Well, if you have a prayer request, I want to encourage you to come and meet with someone in our prayer team. God bless you.
Partner with us by giving to what God is doing in and through Center Street Church. Click on Give to learn more. If you are in the Calgary and area region, we invite you to visit one of our five campuses next weekend. Click on Find a Campus Near Me and come say hello. We look forward to meeting you and helping you find a place to belong, grow, and learn about God.